But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. I'm Allison. I'm Rob. And we're, we're Christ Haunted. Let us pray. Lord, support us all the day long, until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes, and the busy world is hushed, and the fever of life is over, and our work is done. Then, in your loving kindness, grant us a safe lodging, and a holy rest, and peace at the last. Amen. Amen. Well, well, hey there, Rob. Hi. <laughs> that sounded pretty nice. Yeah. How, <laughs> After... are you, how are you doing today, Allison? I mean, so, listeners, we try not to date our podcast recordings, but today is the day with the Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee. So we're drinking red wine out of a box in juice glasses. <laughs> well, you know, it's a step up from my normal jelly jar, so I guess, you know, yeah, I'm feeling classy. So. I know. It's pretty good. Um, and I think we, we can talk about that and all manner of other current events and bullshit another time. But Rob, will you tell me about this beautiful spiral bound book I'm holding in my hand? Oh, that's sure. a good announcement for our listeners. Yeah. So um, I don't really talk about this much, but one of the things that I do in my spare time is I I write liturgy. Which, uh, for those of you who don't know, that's the order of prayers, and uh, one which of the, means the work of the people. It means the work of the people, or uh, a, a, another uh, translation I like is public work or pr- uh, private work for for public benefit. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So there's 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 kind of a liturgia. The word we get it from is a Greek word that was applied to frequently applied to rich people who would like give a statue for the public square or provide sacrifices for the populace um, because you would eat the sacrifices after they were offered to the gods. So mm-hmm. it was, it was a, a private donation for public benefit. And that's what our liturgy does is we, we who are called to pray and do these things and give our life, do it for the benefit of all people, not just for ourselves because belly button gazing is never a good thing. Well, and but, I just thought as you were explaining liturgia, one, I thought I'm going to make a pretty Canva graphic <laughs> and that's going to be what we post with the pod. Yay. But the second thing I thought is like, oh, that's that's kind of the rhythm that you and I are trying to achieve with the podcast. It's yeah. like it's it's our own little private liturgy mm-hmm. that then other people get to listen to and hopefully laugh, laugh and cry and pray and ah, have some feels. Absolutely. So that's yeah. our own little liturgy. But yeah, so back to yeah. the book. So I, I write liturgy and one of the uh, projects I've been working on. Let's see. I've been working on this one for uh, the better part of a few years. Four years. Yeah, I think I've been working on this one since um, South Carolina. Yeah, I was still. I was still. I started this project in South Carolina and was never happy with it. But the project was essentially to kind of do what we do with the podcast and deconstruct the things I know about the last seventeen hundred years of Christian history. And what would have what what might the liturgy have looked like had we not strayed so far from our Jewish roots? Mm. Uh, so it, it is it is based around what we can reconstruct of early Jewish early first century common era Jewish worship, early first century Christian worship, and kind of what I can glean from the Bible. So it's all those That's things pretty 
big. It's it's huge. It's cool. Yeah, and that's why it takes four years to produce this. So I produced. This is my editor's copy, so I'm editing it. Um, and maybe if I get brave one day, we might make it available for other people to see. Makes me want to vomit. No, it may, well, it <laughs> makes me smile. It makes me so proud to be your friend and to know you. And yeah. I'm very proud of you, oh, buddy. Thanks. Good job, buddy. So, but I, yeah, listeners, I mentioned when Rob brought this in today, we could have a little like an ebook. Yeah, it's our the first Christ haunted ebook. Christ haunted. I just write. E-book. Mediocre sermons. <laughs> Rob actually writes. I don't actually books. <laughs> write stuff. I, I edit prayer books. Like most, like I write very little of these things. Most of it's taken from modern sources. But that, but that says that you know, in our DNA, we have in our Christian DNA, we have all these things. We just have to recombine them using yeah. the different DNA polymerase. And this metaphor just broke down. That's all right. So. <laughs> That's all right. We're drinking Boda Box one, Boda Box. Yeah. <laughs> So That's yeah. fine. It's a good day. That is a good day. Yeah. Okay, listeners, so we needed a little laughter for our mental health <laughs> to start. Um, we're having dinner with friends. Friends. And we're going to play some board games, which will be fun. But we wanted to um, remind you that we already dropped part one of our First Corinthians chapters 15 and 16 podcast. We recorded the entire conversation at once, but then realized it's like an, a legitimate hour-long conversation, yeah. and it's a little too much <laughs> in it's, one It's pod. a meaty hour-long it's conversation. It's a meaty hour-long conversation. So we split it into two parts. Um, so that's what we're going to share with you now. Yeah, so if you need to reread, just remember we're mostly in chapter 15, First Corinthians chapter 15. Big enjoy. chapter. Big chapter. Enjoy. So there's an interesting passage that comes a little bit after the conversation on Jesus and uh, his resurrection and those who get to experience it and who have experienced it, where it says that, that Jesus is the first fruits that have been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then it goes on to talk about how all things will be put in subjection under Jesus. And that sounds like some anti-imperialist conversation to Mm. me. Don't it sound like it to you, Allison? I do love it. I do. I do love it. It says, Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And there's really no other ruler or power to which Paul can possibly refer because there is no other ruler. Mm Mm-hmm. That he knows of than I Rome. I say, especially in the Roman Empire, where the Rome was the world, the whole world right. that he knew. Right, and so the principalities and powers and the dominions and all those fancy words that we get, uh, you know, in various translations, it all boils down to Rome. And I'm going to go off script for a minute, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna hit real hard on the uh, King James version of the Bible, hmm. and by direct extension, the new revised standard version. Because in case you didn't know, the King James Version was the standard version of the Bible. And then there was the revised standard of the I didn't 1900s. know that. Yes. And oh, then there's gosh. the new revised standard of 1989. You're joking. Yeah, no. So the, the, the new revised standard is a direct descendant of the King James Version of the Bible. Huh. And it pulls all the same damn punches because the, 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 the standard version, the authorized version... The King James Version of the Bible, those are all the same thing. They all essentially have to suck up to power because the King James Version was authorized by King James of England, 
who wanted to make a translation that was going to make sure nobody got up in his power mm. bracket. Mm. Um, you know, so when we hear... Question everything. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so when we hear that Christ is going to put all things in subjection, he means Christ is going to put Nero under subjection or Caligula or Claudius or whoever happens to be, you know, whatever Ruling. the ruler of the week is. Our little peasant from Galilee who's been raised to God's right hand, and we're going to talk about that in a second, mm-hmm. is going to become the ruler of all creation, or has already inherited this mantle by, by being the first fruits. And that's big. You know, the American government under his feet. Uh, you know, Every government. Uh, every government every under his feet. Every worldly power and principality. And so that becomes part of the hope of the resurrection, this, this idea of Jesus being the first fruits. This is part of the idea... Um, well, I think one thing that yeah. I get frustrated about today, I think, and I, I, I've i talked about this with you before, that message for Paul's listeners is liberatory right. to, to a certain part of the population, mm-hmm. but to people in positions of power whose power will be trampled, right. that is not. Right. And so to today, a lot of how we talk about and think about and process and try to put into practice all these teachings really doesn't get to the core and the kernel of what Paul's talking about. Right. Because were that true, many of us would be part of the trampled. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, preachers who get nice salaries and stand in pretty pulpits and wear fancy clothes don't like to be told that... Well, I don't just mean preachers. Well, not, not just I mean, preachers, but like... Any uh, churchgoer. Right. It, it, it is the marriage of altar and state. Yeah. You know, and, and then we don't... We also don't understand that we are in that top bracket, most We're of us. We're certainly in that top bracket. Right. We're not the... We are not the most poor and the most marginalized right. for whom the trampling of powers right. would be liberation. Right. As Isaiah said, you know, uh, it's, we, we are not the valleys to be lifted up. We're the hills to be made, made low. Made low. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's uncomfortable as we sit here with our electronics and our and my profusion of gin from yes. across the world and, you know, my beer that was aged on spruce tips, you know, I mean, yeah. So it always does make me question, like, am I, and I think this is an important question for anybody who lives in comfort to be mm-hmm. asking, is this message meant for me? Right. Or and if it is, what does it mean? Right. If it if it's not meant for me, what does it mean? You know, I I just think about that or, kind of thing all the time. Or which message, you know, and, and yeah. I, I've done this which once. Which message already, is intended right. for me? I've done this once. I'm going to do it again. There's a, a later passage that we haven't gotten yet where it says the word of God is sharper than two any two-edged sword. So when it cuts one direction, it also can cuts cut the back other. the other direction. Right. And so which direction am I getting cut? Yeah. Am I getting cut to be liberated or am I being cut to the core? Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 different things on different days sometimes. Right. That's right, and and I and I think to be honest, we have to acknowledge that that some days you need one message and some days you need another. Yeah, and 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 that is part of the power of the resurrection. It's the power the power of the resurrection is not that the hills are going to be obliterated or that the you know whatever. It's that there will be a, a level feel made. Right. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a zero sum game, but it's not. Right. Yeah. It sounds like, oh, you know, you have to lose for this person to win. It's you are living in such excess right. that to take away your excess is not actual loss. You are not actually losing anything. This makes me think of white privilege. Mm. 
But we can leave that for another pod. Yeah, I I'm say. I'm just going <laughs> to toss that in there and take a drink of my gin. But yeah. I think you were also going to talk a little bit about how, ooh, how Christ and God are cr- talked about in this chapter. Oh, yeah. As distinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This goes back to Plato and Philo. We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier in the pod. Um, because, because Paul is talking to these pagans who don't know their head from Torah, they think of God in a very platonic way. And even Paul does. Paul, you know, Paul's an urbanite or he he is an urbanite, right? He's from Tarsus. He is a well-educated gentleman and he is well-versed in Greek philosophy, but he's still fundamentally Jewish Mm -hmm. and he still fundamentally, fundamentally knows this zealous, active and moving God, Elchai, the living God. And so he struggles with how to describe this. And he describes God in a very platonic Greek kind of way here. Very quickly, he says that um, Jesus is now currently reigning in God's dominion and will put all things in subjection under under himself. And then at the end, so we've got the, the age that is. Mm-hmm. We've got the messianic age where Jesus puts all things in subjection. subjection. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have the, the age to come where even Jesus gets put under subjection. Okay, so here's that some of that fundamental questioning of the Trinitarian theology you learned in grade school when you have... Just makes my head want to explode. Yeah, so it, we are not... Oh, I guess we are questioning the fundamental doctrine of the Trinity, but to say it a little better... But no, I don't think we are. I think that I Paul, think Paul is. is using language right. that should force us to ask questions right. about what that doctrine means when Paul's not using it. Right. And Paul is quite close to the living presence of Jesus. Right. Didn't meet him. Yeah, met, met the resurrected Jesus. Met the resurrected Jesus. Yeah. And yet Paul is speaking this way. Right. So I think it's only right for us to ask those questions. Yeah, and Marcus Borg makes a really good point in the book Speaking Christian. He says, uh, you know, most religions are binatarian. And he kind of mm. coins a term there, you know, binatarian. God is transcendent up in heaven and God is imminent here. In Hebrew theology, Jewish theology, they talk about God in heaven in the Shekhinah, the presence of God here on earth, the presence of God that, that lived in the temple and lived in the um, the tabernacle in the wilderness. All Christians did was add Jesus in the mix as like this temporary tabernacle in the wilderness. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good point. Uh, but Paul doesn't do that. Mm. Paul says that Jesus is lifted to this position. Yeah. But put in subjection under God. And then God. one day we'll be put in subjection under God. So And this is chapter 15, verse 28, in case right. anyone's like, they are speaking heretically. <laughs> Go look at your Bible. That's right. Because we're going to speak some more heresy. When all that. things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him. So that God may be all in all. Right. God may be all in God all. God may be all in all. And that makes me think a lot about Islam, actually. Yeah. Like the oneness of God. The indivisibility of God. One of the things I recall about my times that I have read the Quran is that the Quran is very clear about saying that God is indivisible in one and that part of the issues that have happened in other monotheistic traditions is like the idea that God is many. Yeah. But right here, it looks pretty clear. I say pa- that Paul's God pretty... may be all in all. Well, in, in Paul's creed, in his in his mind, the only creed he knows beyond maybe Jesus is Lord uh, the, the creed he grew up on was Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. The Lord your God, the, the Lord, Lord is, is one. one. Or the Lord alone. Mm-hmm. Period. Like, it, it puts a big period on the end of it is God and God alone. And so 
it shouldn't really surprise us that a Jew, born of Jews, mm-hmm. does not... Even a Christ-believing and following a, Jew, right. Christ-confessing Jew, right. would believe, would believe that. that God is one right. and that Christ is is not necessarily divine. The idea of a divine Messiah was kind of it's, not it's a real... Late. Yeah, not a real thing in Paul's day. Oh, Ooh, this yeah. is getting really touchy. This is getting touchy because, you know, Sunday school exists for a reason, and, and apparently it didn't work for us, Allison. No. <laughs> we didn't watch we enough Veggie Godly Tales. play or something. Yeah, right. Anyway. It does not diminish the truth or the validity of a religion just because one version of it that has been presented to you isn't, you know, isn't clicking or isn't working. Like... Even in Jesus' day, Jesus was a Pharisaic Jew. Paul was a Pharisee. But the reason they were Pharisaic Jews was because there were other kind of Jews around. Mm -hmm. Pharisees believed in the immortality of the soul. They believed in the resurrection Resurrection. of the dead. They believed in angels. The Tzadikim, or as you may know them, the Sadducees, followers of the priest Zadok, did not believe in angels or spirits or the resurrection of the dead. The Essenes believed that some great conflagration between the sons of light and the sons of dark was coming very soon. Truth speaks, and truth is not the province of any one group, of any one religion. I mean, for God's sake, look at Christianity. There's a mythology out there about early Christianity. The reason Paul had to write this was because there were Christians who disagreed with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Paul was trying to make a point about his... Uh, his brand. His brand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, that kind of polemic was not unusual. Right. His, his brand of polemics was not that unusual. He was maybe a little more vociferous, but not much. No. And so we should not be afraid to, to ask fundamental questions. And I think, I think that's part of the point of this pod. Yeah. And so one of the things that Rabbi Paul teaches us, whether he intended to teach it to us or not is that you have to question fundamentally Mm. the things that are given you and that it's not unfaithful to do so, but it's actually more faithful because you're, again, you're engaging. Yeah. The word Israel means struggle with God and, and we have to struggle with God because we've been grafted into Israel. All right, listeners, we're coming into the home stretch of the pod. We want to promise. We want to have one last major conversation before we lead you out. So that is about how Paul in chapter 15 talks about Adam or Adam, the first man and the last man or the the last Adam, um, who we know is Jesus. And there's just some really cool things that happen here. It kind of, I don't know, it makes like into a circle. Yeah the salvation narrative of scripture from Genesis all the way through the resurrection Mm -hmm. of Jesus in a really beautiful way that kind of is mind blowing to walk us into this. I'll just remind you that I mentioned earlier that the people to whom Paul is writing and Paul himself are not thinking dualistically about the body and the spirit in the way that we might be. And also I'll bring up the plant metaphor again, the seed, the seed, and then the plant that grows from the seed are not two separate beings. They are the same being living in continuity. They're the same life form. So that's important as we walk into talking about the first man and the second man or the first and the last. Yeah, absolutely. And so Paul, being the worldly man that he is, the well-educated Greek logician, he's not even a logician, he's just a a, a philosopher, Mm -hmm. uh, and 
Jewish and theologian. I say in Jewish rabbi theologian. He he brings up two words that are important to understand because I think it it puts a little bit of context on what these bodies are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So Paul pretty clearly calls people out for thinking that there's a physical resurrection in the way that I think a lot of dear, dear beloved people think of the physical resurrection now. Is that what he calls out? Or does he call out their skepticism about that physical resurrection because they only think it's the physical? Yes. And so they don't believe in it. Right. I think that's that, that's a better way to say it. Yeah. That's right. Because it, it's about more than... It's not that, about the corruptible body, it's, it's the perishable not, body. Right. It's about seeds and plants, not seeds and seeds. You don't put a seed in the ground and expect and to get seed a seed back out. out. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's a great way to say it. And so he uses these two great Greek words. The first one is psuchikon, and the second is pneumatikon. And psuchikon, like psychic and psychoanalyst mm-hmm. analyst and all those like great psychic words that we have is the word for physical body. Now that kind of brought me up short the first time I ever that's heard that's not it. how we use it. Right. We don't think, we think of it as mind stuff, but really what a psuchikon is, is a, uh, it's like a German mensch. It's a person, it's a thinking person. It is a person with intellect and rationality, but it's ultimately an earthly person. Uh, if you'll think back to Plato's stamps, uh, stamping on earthly matter and stamping on heavenly matter, this is that earthly stamp. When humans are stamped, they get on. They get a human physical body with human physical intellect. Paul says that when that dies, or when the general resurrection comes, when the, re- the renewal of all things comes, the whole creation is redeemed and restored, the Tsukikon will be transformed. You will be planted mm-hmm. and a pneumaticon, a heavenly stamped, a spirit body will An imperishable body. An imperishable body. He kinda he kinda says, you know, y'all don't get it. Mm-hmm. Because if if just physical bodies are what's coming back, there's nothing to hope in. There's mm-hmm. nothing great about that. Remember, Paul has physical deformities. Mm-hmm. Remember in Galatians he talks about how he's all like I was nothing to look at, but you totally took care of me. I don't remember that, but listeners, it was a pod we Listeners, did. <laughs> I swear to God, it's in we there. We did that pod. Um, he talks about his physical ailments, whatever they happen to be, and nobody's really sure what they were. So for him, the idea of a physical, one-for-one physical resurrection isn't hope. And I think for most of us, we can all find things that we would say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even Jesus with his scars and the things that happened to him probably was not thinking of the hope of a resurrection as he is. Mm. And he's raised to something greater. He's raised, raised as a pneumaticon. This, again, mm. this idea of the spiritual body, this mm. plant, this grain of wheat that falls into the earth and springs up something new. Mm. If you like that old French hymn, Now the Green Blade Riseth. Hmm. And so to, to drive this point home, Paul does a little bit of great work here. He says... So with the resurrection of the dead, uh, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable, what is sown in dishonor is raised in glory, what is sown in weakness is raised in power. It is sown a physical body and raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last man, Adam, became life-giving spirit. But it is not the spirit that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And that... It's like a seed to seed, seed to, plant. to a plant, yeah. right? And if you if you're like me and you grow a lot of nice, beautiful things, Alice and I both have beautiful gardens. Hmm. It's an amazing transformation, and it's a powerful transformation, and that's the transformation 
that God promises us. God keeps faith, yeah. keeps trust. And we are called, because we have seen the beginning of the first fruits, we are called to have that same faith. Mm-hmm. I actually like that first fruits language. Yeah, um, I do too. There's a, a Jewish festival called Shavuot. We call it Pentecost in, in English, the 50th day. It's 50 days after Passover. And on that holiday, the first fruits were brought to Jerusalem. And that symbolic bringing of the first fruits blessed the entire season and blessed the entire harvest of whatever was being brought. Mm. And in the same way, and Paul, you know, I would love to have known what the what the pagans who read this were like, first fruits, what the hell is he talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what? But any Jewish audience member or anybody who was familiar, any Gentile who was familiar with Jewish scripture. Or God-fearer. God-fearer, right. That's what they were called. Would have gone, oh... I get it. Mm. Jesus is the first and through him we will all be brought mm. to this level of whatever. Mm-hmm. And Paul, Paul Paul pretty clearly says you're not there yet. You may speak in tongues, you may do all this stuff. It harkens back to that 13th chapter. You may do all these things, but that is not the manifestation yeah. of the resurrection. That is a hope for the future. These are signs of power. That will be even greater Mm -hmm. than anything you're experiencing now. And so in the solidarity with Adam's death and the continuity through history Mm -hmm. to Jesus' resurrection, Paul is saying the way you had solidarity in Adam's death, you will have solidarity in Jesus' life, in Mm -hmm. God's new life, in God's new creation. And I just just love it. I do. I do too. And I think we should just finish our conversation... Yeah. Um, before we read you out, listeners, in chapter 16, with some beautiful language, is kind of the, the culmination of Paul's whole argument throughout 15. Mm-hmm. And even in the preceding chapters is 15, verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Yeah. That's kind of like the culmination of all of it. Yeah, that's right. It is the culmination. It is, it is Paul's thesis statement. And in fact... It, it brings to mind the word uh, in Greek for good news, mm. evangelion, the, mm. the euangelion, the good news. It's not just good news. I mean, that's a nice, happy way to translate it. But it's really the good news about a victory. Mm. It's tidings of a, victor- a victory in battle. Hmm. And so where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where's your good news, death? You ain't got none. We got good news, and here's our good news. And Paul wraps it up beautifully in the Greek. Let us pray. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there's hatred, let us sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's discord, union. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today, listeners. Christ Haunted is produced and edited by us, Allison Duvall and Rob Colston. You can email us questions, comments, and prayer requests at podcast at christ-haunted.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Be Christ Haunted. Music is John Stockton Slow Drag by Chris Zabriskie. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison. I'm Rob. And, and we're, we're Christ, Christ Haunted. Haunted. 
Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die.